what will it cost? Pundits say you will need 60% to 85% of your gross household income today to sustain the same lifestyle after you retire. In theory, the higher your income today, the closer you are to the lower end of that scale. Fair enough, but you should look at this issue in a slightly different fashion. Sure, we could sit down to a long, drawn-out process in which we look at our expenses and try to anticipate what they would be in retirement. But why bother? After all, retirement is a long way off and we have no real idea of what those expenses will be then. You do, though, know that you live comfortably today, we hope, and that it's unlikely you'll be saving money or paying FICA unless you choose to work after you retire. Therefore, excluding those items from your gross income, you can come up with a number that's fairly close to what it would take to sustain your current lifestyle. Simply put, you want a retirement income that equals our gross income today less all savings and all FICA taxes. But you still have to decide what income you will need in retirement to live the way you want. Some folks can get by on much less than they use now, while others may decide they want more. It's a personal choice for all of us, so pick a number. Now, let's talk about inflation. How much does our retirement savings have to be in the year we retire after it has been adjusted for inflation over the years between now and then? What should that inflation rate be anyway? For how many years will you draw that income? Should it keep pace with inflation throughout those years? Will you draw down your starting retirement portfolio to support your income needs or just live off the earnings while never touching the principal? If you can answer those questions, then you can determine the starting portfolio you need at retirement to support you for the rest of your life. We're getting into the realm of some pretty sophisticated calculations based on several assumptions that, if changed, could radically alter our results. What we need is a quick and dirty way to give us an idea of what we need to do to get started. We'll save the more esoteric efforts for later. So forget about inflation for the moment. Ignore Social Security and any company pensions you may have. Pretend your money gets no return now or after retirement, but do count whatever you have saved for retirement as of today. Let's say the amount is 20000 Further, let's say you want an annual income of 30000 in today's dollars after you retire. You expect to retire in 25 years and you will live 20 years after you retire, and that you expect to meet your maker waving your last dollar bill. How much do you need to amass by the start of your retirement to support yourself in your golden years? And how much do you have to save each year between now and then to get you there? Let's see. You need $30,000 a year for 20 years. So that comes to $600,000 needed in the first year of retirement. You already have $20,000 of that. So that means you're only $580,000 short. Divide the shortage by the 25 years you have to save it up, and you discover you only have to catch up about $23,200 annually between now and the time you retire to a life of leisure. Too much is omitted from this simple approach to provide a meaningful answer to the question at hand. Worse, the answer we do get 
makes the whole idea of saving for retirement seem to be an impossible task, but this is far from true. To do things right, we must take a cold, hard, objective look at our desired income, subject it to a rational choice of assumptions, and make some detailed calculations. The best way to do the calculations is with one of the readily available software packages available commercially, such as Quicken Financial Planner, or you can find many different financial calculators online that can help. Before you use any of these tools, you need some preliminary information. At a minimum, you want to 1. Decide on the annual income you desire in today's dollars. 2. Pick a retirement date. 3. Determine your lifetime average inflation rate. 4. Determine the average rate of return you expect on your investments before and after retirement. 5. Determine the current market value of all your investments to include regular accounts, IRAs, the company tax-deferred savings plans like 401k. 6. Obtain an estimate of any company-provided pension benefit. 7. Obtain an estimate of future Social Security benefits. And 8. Armed with this data, you can determine the annual savings required for you to enjoy the good life. You will also be able to play what-if games and see the results quickly should you decide to vary things like inflation, rates of return, dates of retirement, and desired income. We'll leave you with one last thought. The earlier you start, the easier it will be for you to amass the dollars you will need on the day you retire. Say you put $1,000 per year for 25 years into an investment earning 10% annually you would have $108,182. Wait just five years before starting that process, and on the same date in the future, you'd end up with $63,002. That $5,000 you saved by waiting just cost you $45,180. Your employer can be a great place to start in finding the money you need. Employer plans. You've done your homework and now you know how much you have to accumulate to be able to retire and live comfortably. What now? The next step is to milk your employer for everything you can. No, we don't mean that you should confiscate post-its for at-home use or try to create a black market for hole punchers. We're talking about retirement plans. Most mid-size and large employers have a retirement plan in place for their employees. Many have two and some three or more. These plans come in a wide variety of flavors, some good and some not so good. All of these, though, can help you achieve your retirement desires if you understand them fully and integrate them into your planning. Remember that employee handbook you received on the day you were hired? The drab document you tucked away under some papers next to the half-eaten Snickers bar? Well, dig it out, dust it off, and read it. Buried in those pages, you will find a summary plan description of the retirement plan available to you as an employee. Those pages will tell you what kind of plan you have, when you become eligible to participate, and the ultimate benefit you will receive. Is it boring reading? You betcha! But what you'll find in those pages is your free money. What will that free money look like? It might be called a defined benefit plan or a company pension, 
phrases used to describe one type of plan commonly offered by employers. In this vehicle, employers typically do all the funding with no contributions by employees. The final benefit is determined by a formula often based on years of service, an average wage, and a percentage of pay. For instance, the plan could say your final benefit will be a joint and 50% annuity calculated as 1.5% times your years of credited service times the average of your last three years base annual wage. What does that mumbo jumbo mean to you? It means that with 30 years of service at retirement, your pension will replace 45% of your average annual wage for the last three years of work. It means it's less money you have to save each year between now and retirement because your employer is relieving you of part of that burden. And that means more of your resources can be devoted to other goals that are also important, like maybe putting the kids through college. The summary plan description will also tell you your options at retirement. You may be able to receive a lump sum payment instead of a lifetime annuity. That way, if the plan has no automatic cost of living adjustment to the annuity payment, you can invest the money to achieve that goal. Maybe you can take an annuity that will give a surviving spouse more than half your benefit after you die, something like two-thirds or 100% instead. And the summary plan description will tell you how long you have to be on the job until the money is 100% yours, which means the vesting schedule. It will tell you what happens if you leave your job before retirement and what happens should you leave this world earlier than you anticipate. This is all valuable information because it helps to refine the assumptions we must make in the calculation of our retirement needs. Say your company offers a 401k plan. Take out your 401k summary plan description and look for when you may participate, the types and perhaps the risks of the investment options you have within the plan, how often you may switch between those options, whether early withdrawals for hardships or personal loans are permitted, what distribution options are available when you separate or retire, how much your employer will contribute to the plan on your behalf, and when you will vest in those contributions. This is the free money. Why is it free? For one, your contributions to a 401k plan help reduce your tax bill because they don't count against your taxable income for the year. That means tax-free money towards your retirement savings. Of far more importance, though, is an employer's contribution on your behalf. While these contributions will vary from employer to employer, typically employers match your contribution from 50 cents on the dollar up to 6% of your pay. That means if you put in 6% of your paycheck, your employer will match that by contributing 3%. That's 3% of your paycheck in free money. You should jump at this opportunity. Rarely, if ever, should you turn it down. We know there is no risk-free, untaxed way to get an immediate 50% return on our money in any alternative investment we can make. Sure, most 401k plans use high-cost, mediocre-performing mutual funds as their investments of choice. Uncle Sam's part. Conventional wisdom holds that it's almost always better to invest in a tax-deferred vehicle like a 401k plan or an IRA than in an after-tax investment. 
This gospel holds that even if the initial investment itself is made with money that's already been taxed, the earnings accumulate untaxed, and this adds immeasurably to the positive power of compounding. Because your earnings, and often the contribution, are untaxed until you begin withdrawing money in retirement, the government is in effect providing you leverage in the investment. This boost thus allows you to amass far more money for retirement than you could in a taxable alternative. Additionally, you control when it gets taxed and at what rate by deciding on the amount of the withdrawal and when to take it. By contrast, in conventional investments, you are taxed on all money going in and on all dividends and gains in the year they are received. All things being equal, that general idea is true, but all things are not equal. When should you elect to invest in a tax-deferred vehicle as opposed to a taxable alternative? Use the plan at least up to the level where you obtain the maximum matching contribution from your employer. Don't turn down that free money. Let's say your employer matches any contribution up to 6% of your salary. Most people would contribute that 6%, but beyond that they would compare the returns available in the plan investments to those outside of the plan. Here's a simple comparison between a tax-deferred investment like a 401k plan and an ordinary taxable investment. Let's assume that ultimately you will draw all your money from the tax-deferred account and you'll be taxed on that amount at today's marginal tax rates. Of course, it's not quite that simple because in reality you'll decide how that money eventually comes out. Maybe all at once, maybe piecemeal, leaving the rest to compound. But for this simplistic analysis, let's just say it's enough. Let's also agree that all gains in the taxable account will be taxed at ordinary rates, even though we know that at least half would be taxed at the lesser capital gains rate. For our example, TR will equal the marginal tax rate. RA will equal the return you expect in the after-tax investment. RP will be the return you expect in the tax-deferred investment. Any earnings in the after-tax account will be taxed. Therefore, the equivalent rates of return in a tax-deferred or after-tax account can be expressed as 1 minus TR times RA equals RP, which can be restated as RA equals RP divided by 1 minus TR. Alright, now uncross those eyes. This formula gives you the rate of return you need in an after-tax account to equal the return you would get in a tax-deferred account after it, too, you've been taxed at some point in the future. Let's take an example. Let's say I'm in a 28% federal tax bracket, that I get no matching contribution from my employer, or have already reached the maximum match, and that I deposit $100 into my tax-deferred account. I expect to earn 10% on that deposit. What rate of return do I get to get in an after-tax investment to equal what I'm getting in that plan? Well, by using the formula, I get RA equals RP divided by 1 minus TR, and that will be, plug in our numbers, and we get RA equals 0.1 divided by 1 minus 0.28, um, or, RA equals 0.1 divided by 0.72, which equals about 13.89%.
Therefore, if I deposited $72 in an after-tax investment, the equivalent of $100 deposited in a tax-deferred account, and I earned at least 13.89% on that investment, I would do just as well after taxes as I would in a tax-deferred investment, earning a 10% return. If I could get more than 13.89%, I would do better. Need a little proof? In a tax-deferred account, a $100 deposit would earn $10 at a 10% return, giving a total of $110. Withdrawing that $110 and paying taxes at 28% would leave $79.20. $72 in an after-tax account would earn $10 at 13.89% or $7.20 after taxes, leaving $79.20 total in that account after taxes. Use a 401k or similar plan to get the maximum employer matching contribution available. Beyond that level, compare your before-tax and after-tax investment options and select the one that provides the highest after-tax return. But remember this, if you choose an alternative to the 401k, then you must be just as dedicated and disciplined within that investment as you would have been within the 401k. That means you must make your deposits in that investment each and every payday without fail. It also means your deposit must increase at the same time and at the same rate as your pay does. Fail to adhere to that regimen and you will neither equal nor beat the 401k. The 401k demands these contributions and increases via automatic payroll deduction. So to keep pace with or to do better than that vehicle, you must apply the same technique in any alternative. The Taxpayer Relief Act of 1997 provides a unique opportunity to those of us who have reached the maximum contribution we wish to make to our employer plans. It's called a Roth IRA and may be established anytime after January 1st, 1998. With a Roth IRA, you may make a non-deductible deposit of up to $2,000 per year. Allow the earnings to accumulate tax-free through the years and ultimately withdraw all the proceeds tax-free. This is an excellent vehicle for monies to be invested outside of employer-provided plans. Many people think the following phrase is true. Retirees enjoy a lesser tax burden than those who work. That may have been true in the gray and distant past, but it certainly isn't true now. Today, many retirees end up in exactly the same marginal income tax bracket after retirement as before. That situation will definitely be true for those who follow a foolish path in their retirement planning. Nevertheless, retirees as a group do tend to pay the taxman less in absolute dollars than they did before. Common sense should tell us why they have less taxable income. The money they live on usually comes from savings, which is taxable, pensions, which is taxable, and Social Security, potentially taxable in part. In addition of Social Security, which is never fully taxed, reduces the actual taxable income. Thus, a retiree could draw exactly the same annual income as she did when she worked but pay less total dollars in taxes because part, if not all, of the Social Security income is received tax-free. 
Despite paying less dollars, though, the same retiree will still be in the same marginal tax bracket, albeit at the lower end of that range. Throw some work in the mix and the plot thickens. Wages from work get taxed as usual. Social Security is trimmed as the retiree exceeds the maximum earnings limited for the year. In extreme cases, work could cause a confiscatory tax of over 80% on those wages when ordinary income taxes are added to the Social Security forfeiture. Kind of makes one wonder why anyone would want to work under that scenario, doesn't it? If you're looking for a greatly reduced tax burden in retirement, forget it. The best you will achieve is a lower average tax rate on all the money flowing into the household for the year. Compute that rate by dividing your total taxes by all of your income, both taxable and non-taxable. For many retirees, the significant proportion of that income, represented by untaxed Social Security payments, does indeed cause the average tax rate to drop. When and how does Social Security get taxed, you ask? Well, the computation, like all Infernal Revenue Service requirements, is a tad complicated. In fact, they have a special worksheet just for that purpose. The math starts with your adjusted growth income. To that, you add one half of all Social Security benefits and all unearned income received during the year. The latter almost always comes from tax-exempt interest received from municipal bonds, a favorite retiree investment. If the computed total is larger than $25,000 for a single person or $32,000 for a married filing jointly person, then up to 50% of the Social Security benefit will be taxed. If the amount is larger than $34,000 for singles or $44,000 for married, then up to 85% of the Social Security benefit will be taxed. To determine the exact amount that will be taxed, you must complete the handy-dandy worksheet supplied by the IRS for that purpose. Doesn't that sound like fun? Okay, now we know retirees have to pay taxes too. But don't they get any breaks? What happened to the senior citizen discounts? Surely the government can't be that cruel. What is this, the Spanish Inquisition? Heck, I remember Graham and Gramps each getting an extra personal exemption because they were older than age 65. That's just got to be there for today's retirees too, right? Uh, well, actually, no, it's not. It's true that exception did exist at one time, but it got wiped out during one of the efforts by Congress to simplify our tax laws. Our leaders left something in return, though. Currently, those over 65 who do not itemize deductions on their income tax return get a higher standard deduction than a similar filer who is young. The amount varies each year, just as the regular standard deduction does. Hey, it isn't much, but at least it's something. Provided, that is, you don't itemize on your tax return after you retire. Retirees who itemize get zilch. There is one more situation in which retirees possibly can lessen their tax burden, and that's in the area of real estate taxes. Many states will grant real estate tax exemptions to homeowners of, of a specific age, usually age 60 or older. These exceptions vary and may take the form of a partial exemption, a waiver, a freeze on assessment rates, or a suspension of payment until death. For those pressed for income, investigation in this area is definitely warranted to determine what the state of residence will permit. While it's highly unlikely the tax will be avoided completely, 
It's equally true that when cash is tight, every dollar counts. In financial situations like that, every dollar not given to the tax man is a dollar earned. As my daddy says, there was a time when you saved up for your old age. Now you save up for April 15th. I guess he's telling the truth. He's been retired for over 20 years now, and he still screams when he pays Uncle Sam. Let's wind up with another old saw. Only two things are certain, death and taxes. You pay some taxes, it's better than the alternative, no? When you retire, you'll be presented with papers to sign regarding any bonuses or pension funds.